Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Wednesday, October the 5th, 2022. What a great thing it is to have this time together today. I hope that you had a wonderful Tuesday yesterday, or who knows? I, I don't know when you're going to find this. It might be Friday, October the 12th, or October the, uh, I, I'm not that quick at math. It might be uh, Wednesday, October 12th, and we'll do that before you find this. Um, but whenever you happen to find this, I hope that your day yesterday was good, and I hope that you are doing very well. If not, um, if you're not doing very well, I hope that today is an encouragement to you because we are making our way through John chapter 11. And again, realize y'all, John has these long, long chapters, right? Uh, 57 verses in John chapter 11, 50 verses in John chapter 12, right? The John chapter 14 has 31, chapter 13, 38. So it's these long chapters, but it contains a lot of dialogue, a lot of discourse. Right? It's the narrative um, that, that takes a lot of time. John, I hope you see, is very meticulous in what he talks about, what he writes here. This shows forth the fact that he's an eyewitness to these things, that he's actually seen these things happening. This is not a second or third hand report or anything like that. There's a reason that John gets so personal with how he tells these things. And the overall reason is so that we would see Jesus. And as a result, that we would believe, and that's especially appropriate given what we have been focusing on this week, and that is, again, John chapter 11. Yesterday, we came upon the shortest verse in the Bible, and that is, of course, John eleven thirty-five, where it simply says that Jesus wept. We talked about yesterday the fact that we see the Lord's humanity here, and we pondered some of the reasons that the Lord would have wept at this. We know that Jesus knows that he's going there to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? So this is not surface level weeping over the fact that his friend has died and he's really sorry that somebody has died. Deeper than that, y'all, it's got to be um, uh, rooted in, 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 first off, it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Right. So it's Jesus observing humankind. Right. It's Jesus watching what Mary and Martha and the other mourners have come there to do. Perhaps it is the profound wrongness of this. As I remarked yesterday, you know, we were not created to die. We were created to live. Go all the way back to the garden. And what do you find God telling Adam? It, it, listen, it, obey and live. Don't eat from this, from this, from the forbidden fruit of this tree. Don't do it. For in the day that you do it, you shall surely die. God designed Adam and Eve to live. However, death entered the world with sin. The wages of sin are death, right? It's death. Um, perhaps that's why Jesus reacted so profoundly here. Perhaps it was his love for Mary and Martha and the others, simply, that, that it caused him to react. In verse 36, as we read, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, I, I, I think that they're missing the boat there because they watch what Jesus is doing, thinking that he's doing what he's doing because of Lazarus. But again, he's doing what he's doing, I think. I'm, I'm not saying that Lazarus isn't part of this. Jesus loved Lazarus, the fact that Lazarus faced death, that he faced this pain. I'm sure that was fundamental in this. 
but really we see God's heart on display here. And what a beautiful thing it is. What we concluded with yesterday is that he is the God of the universe. He holds the planets in his hands. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And yet he doesn't view us as creatures, as mere creations. He views us as his children. We were created in his image and placed above all things. And the fact that our Lord, even though he knows what he's about to do, the fact that he looked on this scene and wept shows us the love of God. Now, what we will see today shows us the power of God. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Our Father, as we continue along in this, this story that is not just a story, it's, it's an account, it's history, it's what actually took place. We pray that you would guide us in it, that we would see your power on display here. And, and remember that this is not just something in a book. This happened in time and space. What we are about to read actually took place. And it's documented as having taken place. Let our familiarity with these things not result in us coming away with it. Oh, oh yes, of course, yeah, this happened. Let us still be amazed that Jesus Christ took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let us be amazed that you are active in our world. Let us be humbled that what we hear today with regard to Lazarus, we will hear with regard to ourselves one day unless Jesus comes back first, and Lord, may that be. Nevertheless, Father, help us to bask in the glory of where we are in your word. Help us to understand what it means and help us to apply it to our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so where we're picking up is right after this interchange, right? Um, and, and I even threw out the possibility that Jesus wept because he knew what was in people's hearts. Verse 36 of John chapter 11, 11. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Maybe it's the downright ugliness of people that has caused Jesus to weep. Again, we don't really know. But nevertheless, it's almost like before, right, where you have part of the crowd saying, oh, surely this man must be from God because who else could do these things? And then you have other people saying, oh, no, he's from a demon, right? People are torn. Same kind of thing going on here. Jesus doesn't respond to either group. Instead, verse 38, where we pick up today, John chapter 11, verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for days. All right, now we're building up and building up to the event, right? We see that Jesus once again is deeply moved at what is taking place here. So he comes to the tomb, and it is a tomb. You know, they, they used caves. Remember, y'all didn't have a lot of wood at disposal. The, the soil was very rocky, so it was a commonplace thing for them to use caves, for them to use tombs, that sort of stuff. Nevertheless, he came to it. The stone was laid across the, the entrance. 
And you remember when it delineated that it, on his arrival, this is John eleven seventeen. Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. We talked about the reason that this would have been brought out. We even talked about the Lord's design in waiting two more days to come. That Jesus knew when Lazarus had died. We know that from verses 11 and 12 because he tells his disciples that Lazarus is asleep. They say, oh, great, he's going to get better. And then Jesus says in verse 12, no, 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 he's dead. But I'm glad for your sake that he is so that you may believe, right? So Jesus knows these things. Four days has, has lapsed since Lazarus has died. He's been in the tomb for four days. One could even argue he's been dead for five days because he was prepared. Then he was placed in the tomb. Nevertheless, the real reason that all of this is delineated, in my opinion, is really laid out in verse 39 there. When Jesus says to roll away the stone, Martha steps in and, and, and says, but Lord, you know, she doesn't say no. She says, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. You know, I, I think Jesus delayed. I, I think all of these things have transpired, transpired in terms of the timeline for this purpose. The decay would have set in that there would have been no doubt in anyone's mind that Lazarus was actually dead. And I don't mean just dead, I mean dead, dead, okay? So forget about this idea of him falling asleep, you know, soul sleep, all these other things. By this time, they would have known, all right? And it's curious how Jesus responds. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, Interestingly enough, did Jesus say those actual words to Martha? Perhaps he did. We don't have record of them. Instead, what we have is verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. All right. So it doesn't matter if he said this in another conversation that isn't recorded. None of that matters because the two are one and the same. Jesus being able to raise Lazarus from the dead is the same thing as all of them, and Martha certainly, seeing the glory of God. So Jesus, she says, Lord, <laughs> move the stone. He's been in there four days. You know, again, I love the King James. He stinketh, right? Okay. Decay has set in. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Oh, the beginning of verse 41 should be directly linked to what we just read in verse 40, when Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe as a result of that, so they took away the stone? You know, belief, we talked about this yesterday. Belief is always accompanied by action. I'll say that again. Belief is always accompanied or shown forth or proven or revealed even. Real belief is revealed by action. Because Martha could say all day long, yes, Lord, I believe. 
Um, verse 27, when Jesus said, uh, and whoever lives, or excuse me, verse 26, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come to the world. You see, she could say that all day long. <clears throat> Others gathered there could say, oh, yes, Lord, we believe. But until they took away the stone, their belief was theoretical. It was an idea. The action that accompanied the belief was they're really trusting in Jesus enough to take away the stone. Which, side note, um, y'all, the treatment of corpses, the treatment of dead bodies was, was really revered at this time. And, and it still is to a certain extent today, even though death is the last great taboo of our society, because so many people don't know the Lord and don't know what happens in the afterlife and that sort of thing. But nevertheless, y'all, this would have been borderline desecration. I mean, there's all kinds of things that would have been running through their minds. When Martha said he's been in there four days, there, we have no idea what is running through the minds of those people. However, we do know that when Jesus commanded it, they took the stone away. And because of that, now I'm not saying that, it, it, you know, I, I, I joke around with people sometimes, church signs always fascinate me. I remember driving to seminary one day and the church must have been doing a building campaign or something because the church sign out front said, if you won't, God can't. You know, I, I don't know, in the history of terrible church signs, that's probably the worst I've ever seen. It's this idea that, that God is wringing his hands in heaven and maybe we'll cooperate with him and maybe we won't. And if we do, then that means that God might come in and do something amazing. But if we don't cooperate, well, God's stuck. What a disastrous idea this is. And I'm not trying to place that idea on here. But Jesus told them to do something. They had to believe and do it, Right. Now, if they were they refused to do that, I don't know what would have taken place. There's no point in going down the hypothetical road. But nevertheless, Jesus does say belief is required. And they believed. So verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Y'all, what is Jesus doing here? <laughs> There's different opinions here. That, of course, there is the obvious, right? Jesus is showing his relationship with the Father. He flat out tells them or in his prayer there. He says to God, I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here. Also, it, I think that this points to the real dynamic of what's going on here. Jesus calls on God for God's power, <clears throat> excuse me, to do what he's about to do, right? This is not an instance of Jesus unilaterally exercising power on his own. He is part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. But realize also that we get into the economy of the Trinity here. You know, the way that the Trinity works, we also get into the fact that Jesus was 100% human, okay? He's 100% God, but he's 100% human. And Jesus can't just go or would not just go exercising his power on his own for his own purposes. Remember, Satan tempted Jesus to do that. 
when Satan came to Jesus and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, you know, it wouldn't have been sinful for Jesus to do that. Not at all. The power was, he had the power to do that. The problem is, if Jesus had just turned the stones into bread, then Jesus would have been exercising this divine power all of his own accord for his own purposes. And then, as a result, he couldn't represent any of us on the cross. He would have broken that, 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 that seal of him being 100% human all the time. I know this is complicated stuff, and, and I, mean, I don't want to spend any more time on it. But nevertheless, Jesus calls on God's power to do what he's about to do. And he makes it very clear to everyone, again, to show the power of God, to show his own glory, to glorify God, but also to show that relationship, that oneness between he and God the Father. And after doing that, verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What do you think the people thought? Pause there for just a moment. What, what do you think the people thought? Martha, we know, believed. Was she waiting there with grand anticipation? I think probably she was. I, I don't think she had any doubt about what Jesus was going to do. But we know that there are others there. <clears throat> they're very divided over who Jesus is. What were they thinking? Were some looking around like, whatever. My question is, what's Thomas thinking? Remember after Jesus said that Lazarus was already dead and that he was glad for their sake so that you may believe, <clears throat> we find in verse 16, then Thomas called Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Was Thomas standing there like, what's he doing here guys or was he standing there like oh come on what is this what what is happening here we don't know <clears throat> this is one of those places where i wish that i was there i wish that i could see what we do know is what happened when jesus spoke with authority and said lazarus come out verse 44 the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Y'all, there are many beautiful stories. <clears throat> and again, I use that term story because this is a story, but it's true. It's a historical account of what actually took place. There are many beautiful, beautiful accounts in God's word. There are many that point to spiritual realities. But did you know that this is going to happen with you one day? Now, if the Lord returns first, obviously it won't because we won't even taste the first step. Right? If Jesus comes back right now, he will say this to those who are already dead in Christ, but are alive in Christ at the same time, those that have gone on before us. He will say to this, because the dead in Christ shall rise first, and they will receive their glorified bodies. But if he comes back before you and I die, well, it's not going to be the same. But if we do, the same authority, the same power that was employed here with Lazarus, will be employed with you and me where the grave has no hold on those that belong to the Lord. The grave has no power over eternity. Why? 
because Jesus has defeated death. The wages of sin are death. And if you belong to Jesus, he's paid for your sin. Now, we do taste death in this lifetime unless he comes back first. But it is not the ultimate death, the death of the soul. We never face that. That's why the apostle could say, where, O grave, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? And then he pondered the fact that, no, 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 all of this has been absorbed by Christ. How beautiful is this? That Jesus commanded a dead man to come out and he was no longer dead. He was alive. And for Jesus to say, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Oh, my friends. So it will be with us. I say that. So it will be with those that belong to him. Because if you don't, you are the begotten of the pit. The grave is your inheritance. Death eternal. But in Christ, your inheritance is life eternal. Now, what would happen as a result of all of this? We'll pick up here tomorrow. But it says, therefore, after this happened, this amazing, incredible thing, a man dead for four days came out and was alive again. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now, it's with that that we see the real issue. Y'all, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling class, those in charge, all made it seem like they were looking for a Messiah. In reality, they only wanted one thing, and that was to keep their place. The Pharisees had a stronghold over the people. The Sadducees were given control of the temple by the Roman government. They had all the money. And so they asked, what are we accomplishing? Here's this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You know, what you see on display here is the very simple truth that some people are willing to trade eternity for the temporary. Hence, we can ponder the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Ask the Pharisees because they were willing to lose their soul to gain what little bit of the world they thought they had. How very sad. But it points to another reality. When Jesus works, you will either see it and believe, or you will reject it. Which one will you do? Uh, you've read this account. This is history. How will you respond to it? But beyond this, you've seen Jesus work in your life. You know he's at work in the world around you. Will you believe? Will you trust? And remember, that's not just an idea. It's what you do. It's what manifests itself in your life consider these things. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for, again, this most beautiful, amazing, wonderful historical account that points to the power of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and your love for us. Father, help us to believe not just an idea, but an action. Help us to respond to this well. For those that do not know you that are here, I pray that you would work in their hearts and guide them. 
bring them to yourself. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. I see Alice. Good morning. And there's Wayne and Becky and Rose and Monica and the other Becky. And then there is Elizabeth, too. Um, again, thank you all so much for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7. Until then, have a wonderful Wednesday. Um, I'm actually leading prayer meeting and Bible study tonight, 645 at Old Providence. If you're in the neighborhood, come by. If you're at Old Providence and you've been recommended to serve as an officer and you've never served before, our informational meeting is tonight at 730. Thanks very much.